You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. We're your hosts, Jessica and Caroline, and today we get to talk with Vince Bertram. Vince grew up in a small town east of Indianapolis, where his teachers inspired him to study education. After serving as a principal in several schools, Vince served as a superintendent in a southern Indiana district. Eight years ago, he took on a leadership role at Project Lead the Way, a small nonprofit STEM curriculum provider. Today, Project Lead the Way serves 12,000 U.S. K-12 schools and helps prepare millions of young people for high-wage employment. Let's listen in as Vince talks to Tom about their growing impact. Vince Bertram, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Great to be in uh, Indianapolis again. Yeah, it's always great to have you here. I read that you grew up not far from here, like uh, an hour from here, a little town. I did. I grew up in around Newcastle, Indiana. Was it an affluent uh, upbringing? It, it, it was not. <laughs> it was not. It was, um, you know, my parents uh, separated when I was in middle school and both of my parents had quit high school mm. and you know, education just wasn't consequential in our family and, you know, wasn't valued to a large degree. And it was my teachers who inspired me who really helped me understand the value of education and I made my way to Ball State University. And Did you have a science teacher that inspired you? No, I think, you know, this whole work has really been inspired around the future of our students and thinking about the workforce and the things that are, are really important for um, our economy and, and for economic prosperity of our students. And, you know, all of our work around science, technology, engineering, mathematics has been driven by that. It's been really a been driver in my career around, you know, developing career pathways and really thinking about education from that perspective. How did you become a high school principal? You know, it was, um, it was interesting. I, I really thought, Tom, early in my career that I would be a basketball coach in Indiana for my entire career. And, you know, I worked for a principal who was just really outstanding, an outstanding school leader. And he helped me understand that the opportunities in school leadership were really to expand my reach and have a greater influence on students and the outcomes for them. And that's what inspired me to go into school leadership. And, you know, I've my first principalship was at a suburban high school um, just north of Indianapolis. And then, and then I went to Lafayette Jeff High School, where I was principal for five years in a large urban high school. And it was there that I was also inspired around you know, children, um, low-income children, and diversity. And you know, many of the issues that affect our children, given where they live and the conditions in which they live. And... It was there that really inspired my work around urban education and urban poverty. How'd you become a superintendent? Yeah, I had always wanted to lead in a way that I thought could create transformational change. And, you know, as a high school principal, I could affect, you know, a, a school. As a superintendent, I feel like I could affect, you know, thousands of students. And, you know, there were a lot of great superintendents out there and you being one of the top leaders in our country and a lot of people looked up to you and many others around this work. And it was just something I really felt that 
would um, be fulfilling for me yeah. and could help reach a lot done, of kids. Done well. There's not really a job like it where you can change the way a community thinks about itself and its future. No. And, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting role in that, yeah, you become a community leader. Right. And, and you, you think about, you know, as, as a teacher, you affect your classroom. As a principal, you hire teachers and, you know, and all of a sudden as a superintendent, you're hiring principals and you're hiring district leaders and right. people who can create transformational change and you're hiring leaders of leaders and helping create leaders. And that was very fulfilling for me. I really enjoyed that role. Vince, you've been here at uh, Project Lead the Way for about eight years now. Eight years, yes. And yes. You, you've really, you and your team have orchestrated uh, extraordinary growth in the last eight years. I imagine some of this was good timing with interest in, in STEM, but when you look back at the extraordinary growth that you've helped to orchestrate, was it... Uh, Good products, good marketing. What's the success been at Project Lead the Way? No, thanks, Tom. I, I think there are a number of things. Certainly, I think for, from the market perspective in general, there was an increased awareness of right. STEM education. You know, at the same time, I think for us, what we really tried to focus on was creating a sustainable and scalable business model. And we really focus from that perspective is how can we make this more accessible to students, eliminate barriers to access, and take the things that, that were getting in the way for schools to provide this kind of educational experience for students and to eliminate those things. What we've really found is that, you know, oftentimes you would, you would sit back and you would look at barriers to access from the school perspective. You know, what are the things that, what are the excuses that are being made? What are the challenges that exist on a local level? We discovered that many of the barriers existed because of us and decisions we were making and the things that we were doing. And we tried to reverse some of that just to make it where it was, it was much more cost effective per student, where we could really affect uh, this work at scale and try to build a, an enterprise that would allow us to scale. You know, it's... And, and that's worked out very well for us. We've grown from 2,000 schools to nearly 12,000, and we're serving millions of students now, training tens of thousands of teachers every year. How, how much of that is international? Very little. We, the only international work we're doing right now is, is in American schools. Wow. And so, so all that, of that is in the United States. That's huge. That is um, that's a big percentage of secondary schools in America. Yes, and now you're in elementary schools as well. We are, and that's been that's been an exciting move for us. And we moved into elementary time for a couple of reasons. Your your elementary program is called Launch. Launch, that's correct. Uh, and how long ago did you this launch is, that? This will it's been four years. Four now. years. So and and why go down to elementary? I think there are a couple of fundamental reasons. One is we, you know, for me. Years of research and compelling research, students make decisions whether they're good in math and science at a very early age, yeah. and many times as early as second grade. So if we don't inspire them in these subjects, then likely they're going to pursue these kind of pathways um, in high school and beyond. The second, and, and was perhaps the most compelling reason for us, is we look at this persistent um, issue with 
with women and underrepresented minorities in STEM fields and the disproportionality that exists. And you know, many of those decisions were being made at early age. And if we're only in high school, then we're only going to affect those students who have been predisposed to this right. work in some way you know, or had confidence and competence in math and science. So we really felt that we had to get into a place where it was for all kids. Does your uh, launch curriculum include math or does it complement a math yeah, curriculum? It, it's integrated in math and science. Okay. So it, it is activity problem project based approach to teaching and learning that's integrated into core curriculum. So it's not a standalone program. It's designed really yeah. for all students. I guess I didn't, I didn't really understand this until um, I was a superintendent and a parent and began noticing in intermediate grades these really subtle messages where we begin to create maybe an honors track and then how you do in sixth grade determines what math you get at seventh grade. And then all of a sudden you're on the, the college bound track or not on the college bound track. So that really does start in intermediate grades. Yeah, so it happens even prior to that from the student mindset, the things they believe they're good at, the things that they pursue. Right. And they avoid things they think are hard or challenging for them or things they don't believe they're good at. And we think there's, we can correct that. And we can help students understand that math and science aren't things to be feared, but rather tools to help solve real world problems. Right. And absolutely essential for their future. Tell us about uh, Gateway. That's the middle school program. Yes. Gateway is designed as a series of nine-week courses that integrate into a normal middle school schedule. So students will take a, a range of courses from automation, robotics, design and modeling, things like magic of electrons to, you know, we have aerospace and medical detectives that align to our high school program. So it's a wide range of courses, as well as uh, things like uh, App Inventor. And we, we do a lot of work in computer science. So those courses are meant as introductory courses uh, that lead into our high school pathways. And your high school pathways are um, computer science, biomed, and engineering. That's correct, yes. Um, how long have those been around? Well, our engineering, that's our legacy program. Right. So that started in, in 1997. And, and then we followed with biomed. And then our newest program is computer science. And those programs are designed as full-year courses. So we have eight and soon to be nine full-year engineering courses and four four-year biomedical science courses and four four-year computer science courses. So it's now possible to take project the way from preschool through grade 12. That's really exciting. Um, you, you have any idea how many school district partners that you have that, that are K-12? Yeah, we have probably hundreds. We by have now. hundreds at this point yeah. and it's growing every year. More and more schools are really looking at this from a pre-K through 12 approach and understanding that, you know, this isn't just episodic STEM. You know, these aren't drop-in courses, that this really has to be as fundamental to a child's education as any other core curriculum. And it can't be a standalone, nor can it be for selected few, that all students deserve this kind of experience. And, and that's the way many schools are now approaching this work. 
You you have kept um, equity a, a priority here. Um, maybe you could talk about ways that you've tried to make Project Lead the Way more accessible and more equitable. Well, thank you. And I, it is a primary focus for us, equity and excellence for all students. And, and understanding that we have to create experiences that doesn't really allow for inequities. You know, for, for instance, building our launch program. If we had built launch as a standalone program, I am convinced that it would have been for some students, the students who either test into it, the students who are, are determined because of, of their math competence, they would have had that opportunity. But instead, we built it to integrate math and science and core curriculum for all students. And we really encourage that. We reward that. Our distinguished schools and the schools we recognized are schools that really focus on all students. So trying to build that equity into it. Thinking about, you know, gender, for instance, and things that appeal to um, boys and girls, you know, not just looking at mechanical engineering, which is viewed as a predominantly male-oriented profession, but helping students understand that there are a wide range of engineering careers, a wide range in biomedical science and computer science is open for, for boys and girls and, and students from all backgrounds. One other thing, though, is, you know, Tom, we talk about going places where it's hard. I think if you were just a, you know, from a, a sales perspective, you know, people go where they can make an easy sale. Right. And we do the opposite. We try to find places and break down those barriers. We go into some of the most impoverished communities in America. We go to Indian reservations. We go into uh, urban centers. We'll, we will take on any challenge that's presented to us, even when, you know, some would view as pretty risky for us. And... You know, we're going into communities right now. We're going into Appalachia. We're working with a lot of partners to make our program available to as many students as possible. You know, so it's it's really it really comes down to access, and that's one of the biggest equity issues to make sure that all students have access to high quality experiences. So let's say I'm a high school principal and. I've heard I want I want more of a STEM focus in my school and I've heard projects are a good way to go and I have a pretty good science teacher I think we can do this on our own um, why should that principal look at project lead the way what, what is it that you add well I think there are, there are a number of things first it is incredibly difficult project based learning has been American public education for decades but we've never been able to do it at scale because we've done exactly what you suggested is we try to do it all on our own. And teaching's hard. It's time-consuming. And the idea to be able to differentiate learning, create projects that are real-world and relevant for students on a regular basis is incredibly time-consuming, really hard. So we do all that for schools. But we also give teachers a lot of flexibility in how they can adapt our activities for students. So it's not prescriptive curriculum, but it rather it's activities that can be adapted to local economies and, and local needs. But the second piece that we think is critical when you look at the instructional core, not only do we build all the curriculum, but we 
engage extensive professional development for teachers. We have a three-phase training model. We, we do a readiness training going into our core training. We have face-to-face -face training as part of that core training. And then we have ongoing professional development and experiences for teachers. And the third area for us is we provide a high-level school support. We have a 24-7 school support team for technical support, programmatic support. We have a field team ready to help schools on a regular basis. So it's bringing all those services into at a, at a very low cost for schools. And uh, that's why I would recommend that they look at those kind of experience rather than trying to spend all their time and resources creating their own. That was kind of the theme of our most recent book called Better Together, where we said if you're trying to do really hard work, uh, it's often good to do it with uh, with people that know something about it. We, we cited uh, Project Lead the Way frequently yes. in our uh, in our book. I heard that you uh, you might be piloting some new assessments this year. Yes. Uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, thank you. I, we're very excited about our assessments. One of the things that we believed as we were looking at, you know, education and the outcomes that we were seeking for students is, you know, we start challenging, you know, what are the skills that we're really developing, helping students develop? What are the skills that are most relevant? And then are we assessing those skills at all? And the reality is we weren't. We were testing content knowledge. And we brought together a, a group of world experts as a part of our technical advisory committee, you know, people who had helped create PISA and NAEP and other world-class assessments. And they came together and we challenged and gave them the challenge of creating an assessment that could measure both student content and constructs such as problem solving, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, as well as ethical reasoning and mindset. And they met that challenge. And we rolled out our first set of assessments back in December. It was really wildly successful. And we'll be assessing hundreds of thousands of students this, this spring. What's exciting, Tom, I've never had students call or email us and thank us for an assessment. <laughs> I've never had them, you know, compliment the assessment they took where they actually had fun. But what we've discovered is that testing doesn't have to be a negative thing. It doesn't have to be viewed that way for teachers or from students, that testing can be something that has tremendous value. And that's the way we approached it is how can we help students demonstrate the skills they have and use that into higher education or into the workforce. And you know, it's, this assessment's been endorsed by many companies and being widely accepted at universities. And we think it has tremendous appeal for our students. So will those become part of the core offering sometime soon? They are. They're, they're available right now. So okay. our first rollout was schools on, on block scheduling for December. That was our first assessment. And then we will it'll be available to all schools. The other thing we have done, and, you know, earlier we talked about accessibility and equity. You know, and so many programs will charge students for tests. Right. And we chose not to do that. And we made a really a major financial investment in creating these assessments, but they're offered as part of our program at no additional cost. And we just think it adds tremendous value for students. 
In your last book, uh, Dream Differently, you offered some candid feedback to American students. Uh, how would you summarize that? Yeah, I, one is I think students go into some of life's biggest decisions without a lot of information. And we will give students advice, just um, follow your dreams and everything will work out. I think it's irrational advice and, and I think it's wrong. We students have to have a plan and does it mean they have to have every detail worked out? Of course not. But we're asking students to make major investments in higher education going in with this idea of self-discovery. I would suggest that it would be very helpful for parents and students if they can make some of those decisions before they start making those big investments. You know, I think there are opportunities for them to take electives and to explore at the same time, I want them to make those decisions, understanding what the outcomes, at least the expected outcomes are. And too many students go in and you know, choose degrees based on what they think they're good at or avoid things that they believe they're not. And I just want students to think differently. I do not suggest in any way not to dream. I just ask them to dream differently, be smarter about it, think about those decisions before they waste a lot of money. And then they have to decide what path is really appropriate for them. You know, in many cases, they don't need a four-year degree. They may need a two-year degree, a certification, or something that will give them a real career opportunities. And there are a lot of examples of where that's happening around the country. And I think through some thoughtful analysis, students can make informed decisions. Yeah, it's, I guess it's different now than it was when we were growing up, where you could go to college and take a few years to try to develop a sense of purpose. And today that, that can be dangerous uh, of going to college and racking up debt without a degree. Um, we found that it's really important to go to college with a clear sense of purpose. And it sounds like that's part of your message. And I think we're very much aligned on that. And yeah, I see when you look at the nation that has $1.6 trillion in student loan debt and you know, so many students with degrees that will never be able to repay that debt or students who start and accumulate debt and don't finish, you know, those, those students are in trouble. And I think we can avoid, we can avoid that. Yeah. And I think college universities have a responsibility to help with this as well. And, and really be more thoughtful about what students are pursuing and, and also be even more transparent about what the outcomes are in particular majors and whether it's employment, long-term employment, as well as earning potential. You know, I, I'm not asking and I'm not suggesting in any way. In fact, even in Dream Differently, I said I'm not even pushing students into STEM pathways. What I'm suggesting, though, is they need to understand what those outcomes are for any particular major that they're going to pursue. And if they make an informed choice, that's their choice. But too many will go into this uninformed and they'll pick a major and then really struggle when, after they graduate, if they complete. It, it does look from the high school pathways that you've chosen to focus on with biomed and computer science and engineering that you, you are focusing on high wage, high demand yes. uh, career clusters. We are, and I think we'll continue to do that. And, you know, and, but we also help students develop skills that we believe are transportable. We had a recent report that we worked on with Burning Glass and, you know, it was on transportable skills. And, and that was how you take any of these skills you're developing and really move into virtually any industry you want. 
And so we believe this is a great way to help students develop these critical skills, but they can be applied across multiple industries. You know, one of the things, though, Tom, I want to touch on as well, that we, we're very clear about this. You know, sometimes people will, when you look at STEM education, people will challenge whether it's STEM or STEAM or they'll want to add to the acronym. And I just really think that's missing the point, that we really believe that this is an integrated approach to teaching and learning, that we can include anything. You know, we're not excluding the arts. In fact, it's, we're, it's very inclusive of the arts. We do art projects in, in our launch program, and we nurture creativity and curiosity in our students. People think, well, if you're going to engineering pathway, it's this linear and pattern. It's, it's not creative. I would argue it's just the opposite. You, know, you can't solve some of the most vexing problems in our world as a biomedical scientist, a computer scientist, or an engineer if you're not highly creative. Right. right? And, you know, so I also know people who claim to be artists who aren't that creative either. Right. So it's, it's a mindset. It's, it's the way we design teaching and learning that nurtures creativity and curiosity, not a course. Vince, it's been uh, been fun to watch the progress at uh, Project Lead the Way. It's um, it's been exciting to see the growth and the, all the access to integrated STEM focused education that kids have uh, have received. So, congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much, and you know, Tom, it's it's always um, great to have an opportunity to talk with you, and you know, and I, along with many people across this country, admire your leadership and the work you continue to do to inspire our country around the importance of education. And so thank you for all you do. Thanks, Vince. We want to send a congratulations to Vince and the Project Lead the Way team for their amazing success helping extend high-quality STEM education to millions of American students. Yes, congratulations to the entire team. If you want to learn more about STEM studies, we recommend listening to episode 193 with teacher David Platt and the students from the Kavina High Tech Squad. We've got it linked in the show notes and on the blog in case you don't have a pen handy. All right, that's it for today, listeners. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We have a bunch of great interviews coming up and we don't want you to miss them. Thanks for tuning in. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Caroline and Jessica signing off.